So, good afternoon, everyone. I trust that you're well. It is uh, great to see your faces. We're going to continue this morning with our Philippians series. And the title of my preach today and my big idea for the day, they're the same thing, is remember, give thanks, pray. You guys can hold on to that, eh? So even if you lose your way while I'm preaching, you start thinking about, I don't know, um, what could you be thinking, lunchtime or something like that, or maybe you, uh, you've just met a new girlfriend or something like that and you can't help, you, she's just in your mind all the time. Just put her aside for a moment, concentrate on my preach. But uh, if you can't, don't forget this, remember, give thanks, pray. And I'm going to read just two verses from Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Paul writing, and he says, I thank my God and all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. In the Amplified Version, it's just a little bit easier to read. He says it like this, I thank my God and all my remembrance of you. In every prayer of mine, I always make my entreaty and my petition for you all with joy. I've got this quite vivid memory from when I was young. I, I've got a bad memory in general. My I, I don't know what's wrong with me. I just forget stuff. Linda can remember her grade one teacher's name. I don't even remember if there was a grade one. That's like gone. Um, but I do have this memory. I was about 12 years old. I, I, for some reason, I had the morning to myself as a 12-year-old. What does a 12-year-old boy do on a morning to himself? So I went to the kitchen. I laid out some white bread. You know that soft white bread that I, when I used to eat bread? And I, uh, I made myself some, mixed some tuna with some mayonnaise, and I put it on my white bread sandwich and I cut them into in half like this, put them on a plate and went and sat outside and it was, a, it was obviously a Durban and winter's day, the sun was shining and I leant against the wall with my sandwiches next to me and a book in my hand, I love reading adventure books, I think it was a Hardy Boys or Willard Price or something like that and I sat there reading my book and eating my sandwiches like that and it's, it's just such a vivid memory that I can still remember to this day and I'm sure you've got memories like that of of some moments that just bring back feelings for you. And I, I, as I think about it, I'm, I'm grateful for the simplicity of that moment. It's nothing complicated. I mean, I'm just eating tuna sandwiches on white bread, for goodness sake. That's all it is, and reading a book. I'm grateful for God's care for me even before I knew Him. I didn't know Him at that point in my life. My parents weren't believers, but God was already watching over me. I'm grateful for the sun. I can... I can feel it on my body, just warming me as I was sitting there, for the provision my parents had made for me, or the house I got to live in. And um, I think our capacity to remember is an incredible gift that God has given us. We can go back in time, it's like, almost like having time travel. And I know that there are some people that have got traumatic memories that they just want to forget. But equally, or even more so than that, I, I think every single one of us have got some memories of people or places or moments that fill us with a sense of joy, that, that remind us of something um, precious and beautiful. And every one of us who have come to Jesus Christ have got memories of the Father's goodness and His interventions at some point in our lives. And so that's the first point in my preach this morning, and I always preach with three points. Every good preach has three points. So you'll know if you're listening to a good preach. So my first point this morning is remembering. And I, I imagine Paul in his cell, I don't imagine it's a beautiful cell at all, but, but wherever it is that he's sitting, and maybe there's a window and the sun's streaming in, and Paul's been studying in his scrolls and maybe writing some letters. He's, 
he's been preparing Epaphroditus who's been visiting him um, and saying to him, Epaphroditus, you need to go back to Philippi and I'm going to write the letter and send it with you. And so he's thinking about Philippi. And so I imagine him there in the cell, the sun shining um, and streaming through the window. And he begins to think back to the days when he planted this church. It would have been about 10 years after that time when he visited Philippi for the first time. And, and he thought to himself, wow, <laughs> those, were, those were actually incredible days when I was there. You know? God did amazing things. I, I met Lydia there, and, and he began to think about all the people that he knew from Philippi and, and thought about the amazing woman that Lydia is, and, and thought about the, the woman that got, got healed from the, um, delivered from the demon and different people in the life of the church. And he, he thought about the, the work that God had begun to do in their lives even when he was there. It's an incredible thing to see someone come to Jesus Christ. And Paul had had the privilege in Philippi of seeing one after the other person receive Christ as their Lord and Savior. And then as the years had gone by, he had got reports about what, what was happening in the church. They had sent people to visit Paul, and Paul had sent people to visit them. And so he was remembering this incredible relationship that he has with this church and their love and their care for him as well. And remembering is actually a, it's a big theme in Paul's letters. He wants us to remember. In fact, remembering is a big theme throughout the Scriptures. In particular, and I know this is going to sound completely daft when I say it, but it actually, it actually is true. Remembering is an antidote to forgetting. The activity or the action of intentionally remembering helps us not to forget what is really important. There's a whole lot of Scriptures, obviously, but there's a few that I want to pick out this morning and just make this case for you. Exodus 20 verse 8 says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. In other words, remember the Sabbath day and remember to keep it holy. Every week the Sabbath day comes around. You can't go too long without remembering. What are we remembering as we stop working? We remember that God is the creator of everything that we see around us. God is the source of everything. He is our provider. It reminds us that it doesn't come from the strength of our arm or the, 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 the brightness of our intellect or whatever it is, that God is the one. That, and every week, we're reminded of that. Numbers 15. It says, Speak to the people of Israel and tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments for you to look at and remember all the commandments of the Lord. They look down on their garments and there are the tassels around their garments. What's happening? They're remembering that there's a different set of rules for our lives. It's not what I see with my eyes, what I'm hearing with my ears from, from around me, from what people are saying, from social media. I'm reminded as I look down, actually, there's another set of rules that govern my life. There's a different order. Deuteronomy 8 says, You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you power to get wealth. We're reminded of who God is. He's the provider. Deuteronomy 24. You should remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. God, I mean, it's about six or seven times he says this in Scripture. Therefore, I command you to do whatever it is he's commanding. Take care of the poor. Care for the widow. Look after the refugee. It's rooted in remembering who we once were and what God did for us. Uh, Judges 8. And the people of Israel did not remember the Lord their God, who had delivered them from the hand of all their enemies on every side. Who God is, what He's done. Psalm 63, my soul will be satisfied when I remember you upon my bed. It's reminding us what we really need. 
at the end of this busy day, as you lie upon your bed, you remember God and you go, oh, this is what satisfies my soul. Why have I been running around like a headless chicken all day? Ezekiel 16, and in all your abominations and your whorings, you did not remember the days of your youth when you were naked and bare and wallowing in your blood. Remember who you were and how God met you in that place. John 14, 26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. Those tassels on the robe, the Holy Spirit comes to remind us, this is reality, this is truth, this is how we live our lives. And finally, Luke 22, and he took the bread, as some of us did during worship this morning. And friends, feel free, you know when those barrels are out, to break bread. After the meeting today, take some time to break bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Remember, remember, remember. Remember who I am. Remember what I did. And remember who you now are because of what I did. But friends, aren't we such a forgetful people? I think it's actually one of the greatest weaknesses of Christians is that we forget. We, go, we, we start out, we come out of church on a, on a Sunday, pumped up, oh, God, you the, the Lord upon the throne. Monday comes and we've already forgotten about God in our lives. We can go the whole day without even thinking about Him. We forget who we are. We forget who we were. We get into a situation and we, and we act in a way that, like, why am I behaving like this? Why am I not showing the grace that I've received in the situation? We don't remember how God rescued us before or provided for us in that situation. I was recently watching a YouTube video, and we're heading off to Sri Lanka, as uh, somebody said, Dylan said, this afternoon, straight from the airport, we're here, yeah, Josiah and Kevin, why don't you guys stand for a second, please? These are guys from, that are vis visiting, they're part of the trip with us. Kevin was um, part of Genesis Collective Church when it was planted with Chris and Merrill. They, he's now based out of um, Germany. Desires with um, Terry and Linda in Altadena in California. And um, Zayag went with us last year and he's come back a second time. He's a brave man. Um, but um, I, one of the things I enjoy doing with Desires is we go running while we do this bike trip. Not while we're riding, of course. We park the bikes and then we go for a run in the afternoon. And I was just motivating myself and watching this, some videos on it and this there's a video by, about a guy called Rich Roll. And what is the story of Rich Roll? Let's put that slide up. And um, this guy was caught up in this um, like destructive, um, alcoholic lifestyle. And he found a form of, and I put this in big inverted commas because it's not this at all, of salvation in meditation and running. And I was watching this. And it was interesting. It's a, there's story, there's a st stuff for us to, to learn here as well about, about actually coming to a crossroads where we shift our lives. But he hasn't met Jesus yet, as far as I can tell. But the thing that struck, out, struck me when I was watching this was, as he was sitting in his meditative position there, you can see this, the bangle on his arm there, which are Buddha beads. And I started thinking about the way that we remember, the way that um, religion gives us to remember. And so he's got these Buddha beads around his arm to remind him. The Jews had their phylacteries, which was like a box with God's word in that they would attach to their head when they went for prayer or attach to their arm. It was to remind them. God's word went with them and they went into prayer. I don't know if they do that anymore, but they, they wear yarmulkes on their head. Um, the, 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 the Catholics have their rosary to, to pray through like this. The, the, the Muslims have the subah, their prayer beads. 
Hindus have the red string, the blessing that's tied around their arm. Other religions, you can go to the next slide, please, have um, headbands and, uh, or head, uh, headwear and garments that they wear. To, and these things are all there to remind them who they are, who they belong to. And um, it, it's their way, in their worldview, of remembering reality. Now we know that the reality, the true reality, is Christ. And all of these things are, a, are either um, a false religion or they're a misrepresentation. But I began, began to think about how did the early church remember? If remembering is so important, how do we remember? Um, what, what, we've got nothing to wear. I mean, um, even the guy that's sick up there with his um, hat on like that, I, I shared a picture um, a couple of weeks ago on the front of India Today's newspaper, and there's pastor, whatever it is, from the Baptist church with his sick headband on, because we're not um, marked by our externals. We look like anybody else out there. You can't walk down the street and go, oh, well, that guy's obviously a Christian because he's got his, what, what would he have on? I don't know. Unless he was a priest with his band on, maybe it would be that. But Jesus actually warns us not to let the external things define us. In Matthew 23, he says this of the Pharisees, but all their works are done to be seen by men. They make their phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders of their garments. And so as I began to think about this, I realized that the way that we remember is in community and in sacraments. See, what you're doing this morning as you sit here is you're remembering. That's what it is. We're remembering today. It comes around every week. That's why you should come to church every Sunday and not do it every sixth or seventh week or whatever it is. But whenever we come to church, we're remembering. We're remembering who God is. We're remembering what He's done. We're remembering who we are. We're remembering who we were. When we break bread, it's an act of remembering, as I spoke about already. And so as you do that at the table, that's not, it's not just no, it's remembering. It's reminding us. When testimonies are given, they remind us. When the word is preached or read, it reminds us. And friends, we live in a world that is, is foreign territory for us now. It used to be our, our hood. But when we were saved and born again, we were we were remade for our ultimate destination, for the place that we will one day live. And, uh, and so what's happened is we now live almost like, like foreigners and aliens in this land. And we've got to be so careful not to buy into the narrative here, the, the, the story of the, the kingdoms that the world portrays and the stories of the values that the world portrays. This is what's most important or that is what's most important. I love this quote. Don't put it up yet. Um, I love this quote by Eugene Peterson. It's from his book, Don't Put It Up Yet. That's what don't means. Chica, you're doing well, but you just lost track there a little bit. Makes me feel like you're not actually listening to me. <laughs> are you listening? Or are you so focused on your slides that you are? Yeah, that's what it is. Um, so Eugene Peterson wrote this book called Contemplative Pastor, and in it there's a chapter, with a, and part of the chapter is a section called Lash to the Mast. And I'll often print it out and give it to the guys before they come into eldership. And the idea is that the church is coming to this new pastor, this new elder, and they're saying this to that guy or that couple. This is the, the message they're giving him. And this is the portion of that. Now you can put it up. And uh, he says this. This is the, the congregants speaking to the new leader. There are many other things to be done in this wrecked world. And we're going to be doing at least some of them. But if we don't know the foundational realities with which we are dealing, 
God, kingdom, gospel, we are going to end up living futile fantasy lives. You're getting that, friends. You get it? If we don't remember what's real, we will end up living futile fantasy lives. We'll run after the things that don't actually matter. Your task, the task of the church, and it's not just a task of the pastor, it's certainly a part of our task, but it's a task of the faith community, is telling the basic story, representing the presence of the Spirit, insisting on the priority of God, speaking the biblical words of command and promise and invitation. Just a few verses down from our text today in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 10, Paul writes uh, and he says, this is what I'm praying for you. And he tells them what the outcome of the prayer is in verse 10. He says, so that you will understand what really matters. I pray this, this, and this so you will understand what really matters. It's remembering. So when we remember, we hear again that basic story. We will be reminded of the foundational realities of life, of God, kingdom, and gospel. And so remembering is so important. And, uh, but, but not just the remembering of, like, like thinking back to people that we love or remembering um, um, you know, good moments, remembering who God is, remembering what He's done for us is absolutely vital. And when we do, it triggers something in us. It triggers thanksgiving. Paul says, I thank my God every time I remember you. And as we remember the blessings of God, it triggers thanksgiving. That's what happens Whenever Paul remembers, what about us? Does whenever when we see the blessings of God, does it trigger thanksgiving in our hearts, or are we like those nine lepers that were healed by Jesus? In Luke 22, Jesus uh, is confronted by these ten men that have got leprosy. Leprosy was was a serious disease in those days. They didn't understand it, and so if anybody had leprosy, they were considered unclean. So not only were you sick, but you were completely ostracized and separated. And these men with leprosy came to Jesus and he told them to go show themselves to the priest because they had been cleansed. And it says this in verse 15, sorry, Luke 17, not Luke 22. He says this, Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. I'd love to have seen that. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, we're not ten cleansed. We are the nine. Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? All of these guys were healed. They all had equal reason to be grateful. Why didn't they all come and praise God? One commentator says this. Maybe the nine were so absorbed in their new happiness that they could not spare a thought for its source. And friends, that's what happens to us sometimes, isn't it? We, we have this blessing of God upon our lives and we forget to go back to the one who is the source of the blessing. The Bible says that all good and perfect gifts come from the Father above. So if you have a good gift in your life, it is from the Father. I was out this week uh, praying for my kids for one day and um, just walking around my park as I do, become my custom, and I was praying for my kids there and I was interceding. There were certain challenges they're facing and so challenges I anticipate they will face. And so I'm praying into these things with some great gusto. And then the Holy Spirit reminded me of this passage because I'd been studying it in preparation for this. And so it's good to practice what you preach, you know, all that stuff. So I, um, I, I stopped 
interceding and I started thanking God. And I said, God, thank you that I get to be a parent. I, I remembered our children coming to us. Do you know what I mean? I remembered the, them being born and growing up and moments along the way. <laughs> I remember baptizing um, Matthew uh, at, uh, at the church we, we led in, in Durban, South Africa, in a pool right in front of the church. I remember moments of conversations with our kids. I just began to thank God for those. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege of parenting. Like, I'm praying, oh, this is so hard. I've got a warfare in this prayer, and I stopped doing that. I just stopped for a moment. Said, thank you that I get to be a parent, Lord. Thank you for the gift of the three most beautiful kids on the planet, and they're all mine. Do you know what I mean? How can that be possible? I'm sure you feel the same way about your kids. huh? Yes, Linda's kids as well. Thank you for Linda, Lord. Thank you for, for kingdom moments where seed gets sown into their lives. Thank you for battles they've had to fight because of what it produces in them. And as I began to thank, my prayer just shifted completely. And friends, I, I, I began to wonder if maybe the reason why our prayers are so often a labor is because it hasn't started from the place of thanksgiving. We come into the courts of God and we immediately just begin to intercede and, and we need to and petition and entreaty, but we haven't started with remembering and thanksgiving. And of course, we face situations that are tough and, and maybe you've, you've kind of got before God some days and you say, God, <laughs> if, you, if you knew what I was going through, well, you know, he or does. So you would say, God, you know what I'm going through. You don't expect me to thank you in this situation. But Paul writes in Thessalonians, and he says, give thanks in all circumstances, not just on that day, but on that day as well, not just when the sun is shining bright, but when there's a storm as well. And it brings us back to that point of remembering. Someone once said this, if you can't think of anything to be thankful for, you have a poor memory. That's the truth. Because God has always been at work in our lives. And I wonder if the lack of faith and perseverance in our prayer doesn't stem from a lack of thanksgiving. Lord, in the, whatever the situation is that I'm in, this great burden that I have, I, I, I acknowledge it, but I want to thank you that you are faithful. I remember how on this occasion before you rescued me or provided for me, I returned to the altar that I built at that point, that memorial that was put up to remind me of that moment and causes me to come in thanksgiving before you and faith and expectation that you'll do it again. And so here's Paul, he's in prison. He knows that he might be executed, but he begins to think about his friends. He begins to think about what God has used him for, their care for him, his great deliverance that he enjoyed in Philippi. And he goes, you know what? Thank you, God. I'm sitting in prison. This might be my end, but thank you, God. And from his thanks, there flows forth this prayer of petition and entreaty for those that he loves. That's where I want to land today, is in prayer. In verses 9 to 11, we actually hear what Paul is praying about, and I think Dylan will share on that next week. You can see the content of his prayer. But in verse 19, Paul gives an, a testimony to the power of prayer. In the Amplified Version, it says this, For I am well assured and indeed know, I'm super confident, he says, that through your prayers, that through your prayers and a bountiful supply of the Spirit of Jesus, this will turn out for my preservation. 
for the spiritual health and welfare of my soul and avail towards the saving work of the gospel. What is Paul saying? He's saying prayer works. In fact, if you can say this, I don't know if you're allowed to say this, I don't know, but prayer freaking works. Do you know what I mean? It actually works, friends. As I was been going through this this week, God has really been like turning my heart around this thing of prayer. And I was on Friday reading through two kings. And, uh, and I hope you guys are reading through your Bibles because God speaks all the time, friends, through His Word. I was in two kings, and it's a story of Hezekiah. Hezekiah is one of those, I just, I dig this dude for some reason. I mean, he messes up a bit at the end, but he's a good king. I like him. Go read about Hezekiah. He's a good guy. And um, he may, yeah, anyway. So Hezekiah has become the king, and then the king of Assyria, Sennacherib. Can you say that fast? Sennacherib. Um, Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, comes to attack Judah. And so Hezekiah sends all sorts of money to him and says, Hey, bro, leave me alone. Like, here's some money, here's a tribute. Just relax, go fight somewhere else. Just, we, we're okay, just leave us alone. But the king um, of Assyria is a mean, he's a mean, uh, mean guy, and so he comes and attacks Jerusalem. He's outside the walls there, and he sends his commanders to make threats and intimidate them. And, um, and then, by God's design, he gets called away. But before he goes, he writes a letter, and he sends his letter to Hezekiah and all of those that are living in Jerusalem. And it's something along the lines of those eternal words of Arnold Schwarzenegger, I'll be back, is what he's saying. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm going now, but I'm coming back, and there's going to be some butt-whipping going on when I get back here. Yeah. In fact, this is what he says. He says, um, he says, this message is for King Hezekiah of Judah, Listen to these words. Don't let your God in whom you trust deceive you with promises that Jerusalem will not. That's not the scripture. This message is for, you can go back one slide. For, this message is for King Hezekiah of Judah. Do not let your God in whom you trust. Listen, friends, to these words. Do not let your God deceive you with promises. Do not let your God deceive you with promises that Jerusalem will not be captured by the king of Assyria. You dirty, rotten liar. See, that's what the enemy wants to do. He wants you to stop believing in the promises that God has spoken over your life. And maybe it's got so dark and it's so long in the day that it feels like, actually, I don't believe they're going to be fulfilled anymore. But that's just the work of the enemy. And what Hezekiah does in verse 14 and 15 of chapter 19, it says that when he received the letter... He went up to the Lord's temple and spread it out before the Lord and prayed this prayer before God. You see, when the enemy comes at you with this lie, when, he, when he's taken something to rob you of the promises of God in your life, you lay it out before God and you begin to pray. When, when Linda and I, um, uh, Linda was pregnant with Hannah, who's absolutely fine and wonderful now, so you know how the story turns out. She started bleeding. And... Uh, I remember, I can remember, I was outside playing with Matthew. He wasn't injured at this point, which was pretty good. He got injured a lot playing with me. But he, we were outside, and Linda tells me this, and, and we're like, like, we don't know what's going on. We, we think we waited so long for Linda to fall pregnant with Hannah, and so we didn't know what was going to happen. So I went into the house, and I, and I put on some, some music. That's my alarm. Tell me to stop. Give me, give me a few more minutes, okay? And, um, and I put on Ron Cannoli. Who's ever listened to one of Ron Cannoli's albums? Come on. There we go. 
And he's like the, the Larry Brown. Is it Larry Brown of, uh, of Christian music who talks while he sings? Whose report will you believe? And the music's going on. Anyway, that was the song I put on. Whose report will you believe? I'll believe the report of the king because his report says I am healed. His report says I am whole. His report says I am free. And, and I took this letter of Linda's bleeding and I brought it into the temple before the Lord and I prayed. I said, Lord, I believe you. Won't you act on my behalf? And Isaiah sends a message, which is recorded in Isaiah 37. And he says, he says, sends a message to Hezekiah and says, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, because you have prayed to me concerning Sennacherib of Assyria, because you have prayed to me. And then he goes on and says this. This is the word the Lord has spoken against him. I love this. The virgin daughter of Zion despises and mocks you. So here's the Assyrian king outside Jerusalem saying, I'm going to come and break you down. There's nothing you can do. And he says, this city, this virgin daughter of Zion despises and mocks you. The daughter of Jerusalem tosses her hair. I wish I had long hair that I could do it for you. I sent this to my daughter. I said, Hannah, toss your hair at the attacks of the enemy. I think women, like, if you've got long hair, you should be doing it all the time. As you drive, throwing your hair like this. Whenever you hear the lie of the enemy, just Toss your hair at the enemy like this. The daughter of Jerusalem tosses her hair as you flee. Who is it you have insulted and blasphemed? Do you think you're insulting Rob? Do you think you're insulting Nazir? Do you think you're insulting Linda? Against whom have you raised your voice and lifted your eyes in pride? Against the Holy One of Israel. When Saul was persecuting the church and God knocked him off the horse, he said, why are you persecuting me? See, when the enemy comes against you, he's coming against God. And friends, we don't pray out of some sort of religious ritual. We don't go five times a day or three times a day or seven times a day or whatever. We pray because God has chosen prayers. Prayer is the means by which we invite him to intervene. It's the mechanism that he's given us. It's, it's alive. It's, it's vibrant and true. And when we are being attacked, we need to bring our prayers before the Lord. Let me end with this. As Paul writes this, he reminds us that one of the best ways that we can remember our friends is to remember them at the throne of grace. Hebrews 4 verse 16 is this beautiful verse. The Bible is just insanely good, isn't it? Listen to this, friends. Think about this as you pray for your friends and for your family and whoever God brings to your remembrance. Let us then, fearlessly and confidently and boldly draw near to the throne of grace, the throne of God's unmerited favor to us sinners, that we may receive, receive mercy for our failures and find grace to help in good time for every need, appropriate help, well-timed help, coming just when we need it. And so I wonder this week, friends, if you can do this. Can you remember can you go this week and remember your salvation? Can you remember the, the day that you got saved and what God did in your life? Can you remember the salvation of your family and your friends? And then can you allow that to trigger in you a thanksgiving to God for what He's done in your life in welcoming you into your family, in washing away your sin? I am so profoundly grateful that I'm saved. Genuinely. See, we are wise enough to be able to look down the road and know what our lives would be like without Jesus. 
Never mind eternity. Friends, just in this life, I could never thank him enough. I could never thank him enough that my wife is saved, that my mom is saved, that my dad who passed is saved, that Linda's mom who passed was saved, that Linda's dad is saved, that my children said, I cannot, cannot have enough words of thanksgiving for, for that. And then, friends, having remembered and having thanked, can you petition heaven on behalf of those that you are inviting to the Alpha Course? Because they need Jesus as much as anybody else needs Him. They need to know this message of salvation. God forbid that they should go to the grave without never having heard the name of Jesus and the gospel of Jesus Christ.